Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. My guest today is Sparrow Tobin. He is the president of the Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation in New York. And uh, Sparrow, thank you for joining me for this virtual version of Trailer Talk. We are on Zoom together. So, so welcome uh, to this ever-expanding kitchen table. <laughs> thank you for having me and Sabrina. Like you said, um, Sparrow Tobin, I represent the, uh, the president of the Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation, which is a federation of uh, labor unions. Uh, we represent about 100,000 members in seven counties in the Mid-Hudson Valley region, just an hour north of New York City. From private sector, like the CWA, communication workers, uh, the healthcare workers in 1199, but we also represent government sector workers, like the civil service employees, teachers, professors, and uh, also construction trades. So we have a wide federation uh, of working people that we try to represent and support pro-labor policies and help uh, working folks. Could you share with us how you work with labor in this way and what does this mean? So we can all better understand what you are charged with doing as a union representative. I think the beauty of the Federation is that we, uh, we disagree on some things, but where we do find common ground we all push together and help. And it's all about numbers and working together. That's kind of the whole idea of a union is that we stick together and we use our co collective voice to help each other. And so uh, we try to elect pro-labor candidates. We help each other when, we, when uh, you know, if a, a union needs uh, help, like uh, maybe the Teamsters are getting shut out of a project, you'll see teachers on the picket line, professors, uh, community allies trying to support them against you know maybe a multinational corporation or you know Amazon's moving into the area and they don't want to pay uh, the prevailing wage or hire local workers to supporting you know professors if they feel like their health and safety is at stake at a university or teachers for fighting for a fair contract and so this idea when it, when it boils down to it a lot of the a lot of the issues are the same, whether you're a construction worker or a teacher or a civil service employee, you know, you're fighting for, you know, uh, a safe workplace, good pay and benefits, you know, uh, being able to retire with dignity. And so there's a lot of commonality, even, even from, you know, a laborer to, uh, you know, someone that works in professional service of the state, maybe the DEC, there's, there's a lot of common commonality in work and uh, we support each other as a federation because we're a bunch of like-minded, you know, people that really want to advocate for uh, our workers. And, uh, and in our, you know, in our society too, you know, a lot of times the boss has a lot of power and also these corporations have kind of over time made a lot of rules and regulation to try to weaken the voice of labor. And so, uh, you know, it's our job to kind of push back and make sure that, you know, workers are being treated fairly and uh, the system kind of works for them as opposed to working for the bosses or the, you know, the, the Fortune 500 company. And we have a real problem in this country that 
uh, you know, the economy has been pumping, you know, been thriving for the last 30, 40 years, but wages have remained stagnant. And so the money is being generated, but it's not going to the workers. And so we're kind of seeing eroding of the middle class. And uh, that's what we uh, feel like we want to push policies that are pro-labor that, you know, lift up the workers. Uh, and, you know, we feel everybody should be able to have a, de a decent job with health benefits and some type of retirement. Uh, those are career jobs. And what we're seeing is we're sliding into this gig economy now where people don't have benefits. We're basically subsidizing these multi-billion uh, dollar corporations. The government, the ta through the taxes, are paying their health care. They're making tons of money, and it's not going to their employees. So we're, we're fighting for, I think, at the end of the day, economic justice is a big thing we're working on together, and we all believe in. I am speaking with Sparrow Tobin, and he is the president of the Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation in New York. And uh, Sparrow, thank you. Thank you for sharing these things with us. So, so I'm wondering now, six months into the pandemic, what has happened to these workers? What has happened and how you've had to deal with the impacts of the pandemic? Well, it's tough. A lot of people are hurting. I mean, uh, probably the worst are the uh, stagehands that do the uh, the live shows at like Bethel Woods or, or uh, you know, Broadway. They have, they're unemployed and it doesn't look like they're going to return to work for maybe another year. And the uh, unemployment benefits are going to run out soon. Uh, so there's people hurting. Uh, some of our you know, like our sanitation workers, a lot of the private, uh, you know, if the restaurants are closed and the, uh, a lot of businesses are closed, they're not, they don't have a lot of the private commercial sanitation to pick up. And so they're hurting. Uh, we have the economy slowing down. So a lot of projects for the construction trades are slowing down. And so uh, and then we have the government sector workers uh, because of lack of sales tax, which is a big revenue for uh for the county governments, sales are way down. Internet sales are up, but but uh, local sales are down, which so is a lot of state and local. I mean, local and county, you know, and villages, they're in million dollar hole uh, deficits, and we're kind of been pushing and pushing for the the uh, federal government to uh, pass the Heroes Act to kind of bail out some of these uh, agencies. Otherwise, we're facing massive layoffs. Uh, it's going to be a bloodbath in the fall. Uh, maybe the, or the beginning of next year when we see the budgets if we don't get federal help same thing with the post office it's a postal service but uh it's hurting now because of covid and uh years ago they bailed out the you know the auto industry and the banks who the banks hurt people with their you know reckless gambling on the stock market now we're asking to bail out the postal service which serves millions of people especially in rural areas where the uh, for-profit companies don't go or don't want to go. And they also, going on a tangent here, but they also serve, they have a standard rate. So that's, you know, whether you're mailing a package to California or to Arkansas, it's the same. Uh, there's no difference if it's a rural community or not. With FedEx and companies like that, they charge you more and they don't want to go to those rural areas. And so we have a lot of people that could lose their medicines or, um, depend on the postal service, especially our elderly and our military. We're seeing a government that's really kind of, at least the federal level is not working. And uh, 
we need uh, action quickly. Otherwise, a lot of these services that support the common good, you know, we also, we like to say we're bargaining for the common good, like our schools, postal service, healthcare. We really need help and a bailout. Otherwise, it's uh, just going to get a lot worse. And so, you know, and this is a lot of workers that are going to be out of work. Uh, the postal system is, uh, you know, top employers in the country. So what we're doing on the federal level, we're pushing, you know, luckily yes, New York. Yes, I was ahead. about to ask you what some of these collect collective actions are and what the demands are uh, to save the post office. And also, as you're talking about, to have economic justice across the spectrum of workers and professions. So I guess it's two different things. For the, as far as the post office, we're asking, I think, for $25 billion or more to save it just in the short term. A lot of the far right folks are anti-government and they basically, they try to, they try to poison or, or, you know, destroy these systems. And then they put rules in place that weaken them. And like, uh, and then they step back and they say, oh, it's not working. Like, for example, they want to cut the payroll tax, which is going to hurt saving for social security. That's an economic justice issue. In the postal service, they require them to fund, I believe, their pensions for their employees 70 years in advance. They have to make sure they have enough money for every employee uh, seven years in advance. So I think you don't work how for many, seven years. Wait, how many years in advance? I think it's 70 years in advance. So they have to have money for these employees. So you don't work for 70 years in the post office, right? You work for 30. So they have to have money for people that aren't even hired yet. And so that's a huge drain on the finances of the Postal Service that they're not putting into trucks, they're not putting into equipment. And that's another reason why they don't want to hire more employees because they have to fund their retirement. And so they have a lot of part-time, a lot of overtime work. And it's uh, this was put under the Bush administration, I believe. And it was like a poison pill they kind of inserted into the postal system to try to weaken it. And the postal system for the most part is not funded by taxpayers, it's paid for through stamps. And it's a service that's served us since, you know, Ben Franklin uh, helped create it. So, and it serves everybody. And that's an economic justice issue, not just people that have money. And so, you know, we, uh, we want our federal government to support the Postal Service. It needs a bailout now because of the pandemic. Luckily for us, we have great senators, Schumer and Gillibrand, they're supporting it. But other parts of the country, uh, they need to listen and uh, help us out. How does this impact voting? and yeah. the rights of the public to be able to vote and to be able to mail in their ballots. So what is, what is happening there? They have new policies put in place to, that's effectively slowing down the mail. You know, the Postal Service has always been uh, proud of the fact that it delivers on time and, and does a great job. Now they're kind of making, you know, through these, you know, they close some of the sorting machines or slowing the Postal Service down. You know, and uh, the skeptic in me, you know, thinks maybe it's on purpose. Uh, Trump likes to point a lot of people to offices that fit his agenda. For example, in education, we have a secretary of education that was not a teacher, never taught in a public school, and uh, is anti-public education. She supports private education. So the person they put in charge of labor department, same thing. Uh, you know, they have a lot of people that are put in charge of these apartments that are against the basic uh, service that they provide, especially in rural areas, uh, a lot of people depend on absentee uh, mail-in. A lot, of, a lot of states, uh, some states have mail-in voting, and so you know this could uh, slow down the mails, uh, make the you know a lot of people. I know I turned in an, uh, an absentee ballot for the primary. 
because of the COVID, this could affect our uh, voting. And we might not know the results of certain elections for, you know, for days or maybe weeks after the election. So it's important that we have, uh, we've always had a postal system that we could depend on. All of a sudden now, uh, you know, this pandemic and no help, uh, they're putting it to question. And I really think the, they want to privatize you know, the postal service. The, the far right would rather have us have use UPS or FedEx. But again, they, they don't go to, they only go where it's profitable. Kind of like we had with the electric. Electric companies originally only went to city, well, mainly the urban areas, is profitable. They had to create a government agency, the Rural Electric, REA, Electric Agency, I'm not sure what the name is, to uh, give loans and incentives and to basically require the electric companies to bring uh, electricity out to the rural areas. We're seeing that now. I think we should do the same because it's a public service for broadband. We have a lot of areas, Spectrum and the other companies that provide broadband service, they only want to go uh, where it's profitable. They don't need, want to necessarily go to, uh, you know, Fallsburg or, you know, other you know, rural areas because it's not profitable for them. So you're talking As about an adverse impact with privatization in, right. in rural or small town areas that may not be as obvious in uh, urban city right. center. When, it, when these uh, you know, things I become just, about profit, it's, it changes the right. whole dynamic. Yeah. By privatizing, now you're talking about energy access, and also you brought up broadband and uh, the vulnerability of rural and small town communities. So if you could share with us more about this, like what this is looking like right now and how, how you as the president of the Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation in New York are tackling these issues that we're facing at present. As far as the broadband, we just pushed a bill, uh, Senator Metzger uh, supported it, to uh, increase broadband access to rural areas and try to push these companies to, that are very profitable to push broadband out to underserved areas. Because I'm a teacher, uh, you know, especially this pandemic has really shown a spotlight on a lot of the inequities in our country. And, and one is the, the uh, access to broadband. Uh, I know in Sullivan County, a lot of students were actually going to the, I think the government parking lot where they had a bus set up to do their homework, to get access to Wi-Fi. You see pictures of kids outside McDonald's and, and uh, Taco Bell's trying to do their homework in the parking lot uh, of areas that don't have access to broadband or Wi-Fi. And uh, it's really shown inequities between uh, families with uh, broadband and it, broadband's become, you know, you know, it's like the highways and the, and the railroad systems of the old days. You need that. You need the access to these uh, these uh, information highways now to run a business and also to you know for education. And so we're pushing through legislative channels, trying to increase and force companies to access more broadband. And and like I said, it's not it, for the the for profit companies. It, when it comes about profit, uh, and it's not a service. Uh, you know, they just try to make money. And we're seeing this, you know, with the postal service, it's not a company. If it's not for profit, it provides a service to the, to the country. You know, not necessarily everything has to make a profit. I know a lot of nursing homes, like the one in Sullivan County, a lot of people are pushing it for it to make a profit. But really, these are institutions that serve the common good. Why does a, a nursing home have to make money? It's not a McDonald's. And so it provides a public service. We don't ask our police departments to make a profit or fire departments uh, and so, or schools. So these are a lot of 
you know, the part economic justice part, we want to make sure that these, these things that serve our working people uh, are strong and, and, uh, and the government has a role there. What kind of future do we want? Do we want a, a country where everything is privatized and everything's for profit? And if you don't have money, you're, you know, you're out of luck, you know? And uh, so we want a fair economy. And so we push a lot of broadband's just one of them, a lot of yeah. uh, issues to uh, make it e kind of level the playing field for workers. Right. So you you are advocating for for that equality, as you say, to level the playing field for workers. You mentioned you're a teacher, Sparrow. Where yep. and what do you teach in addition to being a president of the Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation? Yeah, I teach uh, in Washingtonville in Orange County. I'm a social studies teacher in the middle school. I wear a lot so, of hats. I'm also a past president of Lions Club and and the city council in Middletown. What are you then at this moment learning or have you been made aware about what's happening in the school where you're a social studies teacher and also you said you were an elected yeah. uh, uh, a leader in the Lions Club. How would you describe your own personal mission in your life then in terms of what you're trying to do? I'm a, you know, a hopeless volunteer. I volunteer for everything. I, I like, you know, try to make, you know, what's that saying? Uh, think globally, act locally. And I, you know, I try to help out in uh, every way I can to make, you know, my little slice of the world a little better. Uh, as far as schools, we're in a, you know, your teachers are really are in a tough spot. We are, and I, we're in a, we're basically reinventing the way we're teaching. We're, you know, we're used to coming in in front of, you know, 25 to 30 kids teaching our lessons, uh, you know, being the best teachers we can be. Now we are trying to teach remotely, which we've never done before, uh, using all different types of software that we might have, you know, a lot of teachers haven't used. Uh, we're trying to now teach half and half, like half the students will be in front of us, half of them will be at home, we'll be teaching and they'll be tuning in, uh, you know, because, you know, it's really, it's a, you know, on one side, it's, not going to school is hurting our children, is damaging to children because they're not getting that education that they, you know, in person is the best. But on the other side, you know, there's a lot of fear because of, you know, COVID, we don't know a lot about it. Uh, I personally know two people that have passed away from it. Uh, one was in the Lions right. Club, another was the chaplain in our fire department in Middletown. And uh, so there's a lot of fear, especially if you're, you know, if you're over 50, a lot of people over 50 have some kind of underlying condition. and. Uh, you know, this COVID, we're all wearing masks. And on top of that, trying to reinvent teaching in a whole new way. And also, we're all, any you know, any teacher wants to do the best job we can. We're trying to figure out how do we use these new mediums effectively. So it's like almost like being a first-year teacher again. We're uh -huh. coming in and uh, yes. we're learning from scratch, you know, like all your old lessons that may not work anymore. You know, like, uh, so, right. Uh, yeah. It's, well, you bring up so many uh, important issues uh, about education and what's happening at the moment because of the pandemic and preceding you discussing education, you brought up broadband and of course those right now are completely interlinked and without access to that, there are right. issues with access to education itself. Uh, which also preceding that, you brought up energy access. And right. you know, 
so as you said, you're dealing with economic justice and how would you, you would say that with economic justice, what does our society, what does your community look like? And then without it, what does it look like? So, uh, so economic justice, I guess, you know, a lot of things are tied to economic justice too. I mean, uh, social racial justice is also tied to economic yeah. justice. I mean, we are, you know, a country that had slavery for, you know, hundreds of years and then Jim Crow laws. And so, you know, uh, I just wrote a comment to the Farm Workers Bureau. They want to, uh, we just got them access to, uh, you know, everybody else in New York, in New York had labor laws that apply to them. Like you work over 40 hours, you get overtime, you get you know a day off for rest. Uh, but the, when the labor laws were created, they carved out farm workers and uh, I think home aides, you know, home healthcare worker, or you know people that work in their, like domestic workers, who are you know 90% plus people of color. So it was definitely like a Jim Crow policy. And uh, we just got the farm workers. Uh, kind of level the playing field for them economic you know that's economic justice and there's a hearing uh today actually right now whether they sh they have to work 60 hours to get overtime and uh, we feel that it should be lower to 40 like everybody else but just getting 60 was a big win but we want them you know you work over 40 hours you should be able to get overtime but you know it's a i feel it's a racial thing a majority of our laborers are people of color and uh or maybe Mexican, and uh, they're being treated differently, I feel basically because of the color of their skin. So that's economic justice. We have a lot of policies that have been written, like, you know, the average worker doesn't have time to lobby Congress to pass laws to sweeten their, you know, how much money they make or their industry. And so we have, you know, over time, you know, Wall Street, uh, we're working for Main Street. Uh, Wall Street is, you know, and the corporations have basically uh, passed all these laws to kind of weaken us and to make it harder for working people to organize locally. And uh, and so we have to kind of work with the system, try to elect pro-labor candidates that support us, uh, but also realize that, you know, the system's always going to be kind of against us and that we have to kind of marshal public opinion in a lot of ways to support our issues and help lead the country in that way. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's uh, a lot of the little things. So, you know, economic justice and, you know, nationally is different. You know, locally, we're trying to make sure that, you know, our workers are safe, uh, you know, that they're being paid fairly, they're not being exploited. Uh, it could be anything from a nurse in a, in a hospital to making sure that we want staffing ratios so that, you know, and this helps everybody, not just union or non-union. Uh, if you're on a floor and, and you just had surgery and uh, there's only one nurse working and you're pressing that pain button, you know, and they can't come to you because there's 12 patients they have to take care of because the hospital's trying to save money uh, with their staffing. Uh, yeah. You know, that's another profit versus service, right? And so we would like, you know, there should be a ratio that so if you press that pain button, a nurse can show up and not, not because they're trying to make a profit. And, uh, and so it's a lot of issues like that, where we're basically pushing for what's good for working people. A couple of things before we conclude our conversation. I'm wondering why what is your message to our listeners, if you could just in a sentence or two, 
uh, like you say, it's about education. It's about getting out and voting for pro-labor candidates. But I guess, why? What's your message? I guess it's what kind of economy do you do you want in the future? We, uh, the Labor Federation, we feel we're bargaining for the common good, that we're trying to bargain for uh, the working people, and not just unions, but everybody, you know, higher wages affect everybody. We believe in yeah. uh, trickle up, you know, you, you raise the minimum wage of a person making $10 an hour to $15 an hour, they're going to spend that in the economy, and that's going to help them put food on the table. They're not going to store it in an offshore bank account or or put it into uh, stock options. So we believe in bringing up everybody together. You know, I like uh, Barack Obama maybe said it, uh, we all do better when we all do better. And that's what we believe in. Well, we do, we all do better when we all do better. Uh, so Spiro, uh, one last thing, what are some of the ways people can get involved? Uh, and if you could share how they can do that and uh, if there's a website that would be helpful. Great. Yeah, you can check out our website. That's kind of the hub. We're also on social media. It's uh, H-V-A-L-F, Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation, dot org, H-V-A-L-F dot org. We have a lot of, uh, because of the pandemic, we have uh, First Fridays, a lot of uh, labor town hall roundtables. Uh, this one, this Friday is going to be about education and back to school during the COVID crisis and which what we can do to strengthen education. Uh, also, if you're in a union and you want to get involved, we have a labor academy where we teach leadership skills and labor history. Uh, that's you know not really focused on in schools as much as it should be. And uh, you know, there's actions. You can sign up for our email list, and we're always out there uh, on the streets, either trying to get people elected or protesting or trying to uh, you know basically make sure workers are treated fairly, you know, from Rockland County all the way up to Columbia Green. Thank you so much, Sparrow. Anything else you'd like to share with us? Just uh, hope everybody uh, gets out there and vote, fill out your census. I know that's very important for our area and uh, stay safe and healthy. Uh, we'll have to get, all get through this together. Uh, I think we're in for another year with the buckle up uh, and then hopefully things will start to get back to normal. I know my parents are in their 70s and they haven't really left their house for months now. I miss them and uh, you know I hope we can all get back to seeing each other and doing interviews in person and hugging our friends and not to wear these masks anymore. <laughs> I look forward to that time as well. Thank you so much. My guest is Sparrow Tobin. He is the president of the Hudson Valley Area Labor Federation in New York. Thank you for joining this virtual kitchen table of trailer talk, Sparrow. Oh, thank you. I was speaking to Sparrow Tobin from a campground in Greenfield Park, New York in the Catskill Mountains. In Ulster County, which is adjacent to Sullivan County, we were speaking on Zoom on the virtual kitchen table of trailer talk and it was wonderful to look at the screen and past Sparrow to all of those RVs and campers. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.